Today has been a great and wonderful day for me. This afternoon, through the day of many interviews and so forth with the different delegations that's coming and planning for services in the future and so forth. And then once in a while on the street passing someone who is sick, see the hand of our Lord reach out in mercy to them. Tonight, while having a sandwich in the sandwich shop, I was really thrilled when some Italian brethren come up and one of them said that he was a friend of my recording boy here, Gene Gold. Said Gene didn't hardly know me anymore, but said because when he and I run around together, we were in pool rooms. But now we're in the service of the Lord. He said, I, I believe it, he brought his baby to me. Catholic, his wife, and Italian Catholic. And the little baby was last stages of cancer, and I prayed for it, and the blessed Lord Jesus healed the baby. It's a living tonight after two or three years, perfectly sound and well. And they're both saved and filled with God's Spirit. That would thrill the heart of anyone. Just a few moments ago, as a darling here in the pathway, another last stages of leukemia, to pray and lay hands on it, the faithful little mother and father. Brings my memory to about two years ago, one day I just come in from way away, and I'm so tired I could hardly stand up. Long about daylight was a call come from a motel, baby, seven days to live, and they had brave snowstorms across Kansas and through Missouri and Illinois to have the baby prayed for. I went down there and a Presbyterian minister and his daughter-in-law and his son was in the room with a darling little thing and the doctors had just given it seven more days. The Holy Spirit came down and told the boy and the girl, father and mother of the baby, their conditions of what they must do and how they must accept Christ. They, with their hands up around their dying baby, promised God that they'd serve him reverently from that day on. And two weeks from then, the baby was skipping the rope in school, pronounced for the doctor, sound and well, to live tonight glorifying God because of the glory of God. On the private interviews this afternoon, in a room, a young woman, I'd say middle-aged, come in, has been a teacher for years, and something has been wrong with the lady for a long time. Even when Dr. Lee Vale has been introduced here, the pastor of the First Baptist Church up at Spencerville, Ohio, bosom friend of mine, was keeping the ten-minute interviews with each one as they passed, and the lady come in, and in her case, it was a required for God 
to move and to show something. She'd done everything, been prayed for. But then the blessed Holy Spirit came down and undone the whole thing and showed the thing. And the lady was perfectly delivered after many, twenty years or more of torment. The Holy Spirit delivered her with a great smile on her face when her ten minutes was up, left the room rejoicing. What do we say? The faith that was once delivered to the saints is delivered again tonight to those who believe. The Lord be blessed. Now I wish to take just a moment here. I think it's my lot to teach tomorrow afternoon here, I believe, at the tabernacle. Is that too bad? At 2.30, or just about 30 minutes, I suppose, or whatever the lot of time is. Wow. <laughs> Couldn't do that, Brother Joseph. <laughs> but we, we have some... That is very nice of you to say those things, because uh, I know there's one thing. Someone was trying to give me a doctor's degree not long ago. I said, I'm too smart for that. <laughs> I said, I, I know better than people do too. So <laughs> if a man knows his limitations, and now with my old Kentucky hill, paint, tote, fetch, and carry, you know people know how I wouldn't be a doctor of divinity. And so I, I'm just Brother Brandon. So, and so, but in the audience tonight, as many real men deserving who are doctors of divinity. How I wish I had their education and had their ability to do as they can, but I haven't got it. So I just have to depend on God to work on your hearts to, to believe what I say. That's the only way I know. So now, the Lord bless you as I read for just a little short text. The Lord willing, in the 17th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, and the last three words of the fifth verse, and being busy, I don't get much time to read and pray, but I would like to approach this subject tonight, the Lord willing, on Hear Ye Him, three little words. But that, you say, that's an awful small text, Brother Branham. But it, it isn't the size of the text, it's the contents it holds. It's what, it, it will determine the eternal destination of every man that hears it and his attitude towards it. Sometimes we can't go with the size of things. I was speaking, or heard some time ago it was, I believe, on the radio, that where a little boy was searching around to an attic, and he run into some old trunks, and he opened up one, and searching through there he found a little postage stamp, just perhaps about a half inch square. Well, he looked at it, and he thought it was, must be an old stamp. So down the street he realized, remembered that there was a stamp collector. 
And he runs down the street real quick and he said to the stamp collector, I have now found an old stamp. What would you give me for this stamp? And it looked yellow and old. So the stamp collector examined it and he said, I'll give you this one dollar bill for the postage stamp. Well, the stamp being one half inch and the dollar bill, many about two by four inches square, there was much more paper in the dollar bill than there was in the little stamp. So the little boy said, it's your stamp and my dollar. And then that stamp collector, two weeks later, sold that stamp for $50. And about two months after that, that same posted stamp was sold for $500. And the last I heard of that stamp, it was worth a quarter of a million dollars. You see, it isn't the size. It's what is wrote on it. There's enough in this text tonight, the value of this, because it's three words of God's eternal word. When all the heavens and earth will pass away, but that word will endure forever. Down through the ages, man has taught on this same subject for 2,000 years. And it's just as inspiring to every generation as it was to the first generation it was read to, because it is the eternal Word of God. And if time should roll on many thousands of years or eons of time, it would still have the same meaning. If I'd write you a letter, you might appreciate it. But you'd be the only one that could appreciate it, because it's from myself to you. But this year is to whosoever will, and it never dies. My letter would cease when to be of a value when you cease. But God's Word can never cease, because it is God Himself. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So no man is any better than his Word. I'm no better than my Word. You're no better than your Word. God's no better than His Word. And His Word is part of Him. Your Word's part of you. My Word's part of me. So God being infallible. His Word has to be infallible. God being omnipotent, His Word has to be omnipotent. So you see, it's the value of it, and it's, a, it's a, an invitation to every mortal on the earth, if it be received right. But if you turn it down, then it's no value at all. Here some years ago, there was a case tried on that in the federal courts of our land. A man had committed a crime, and the governor of the state 
had sentenced him to, to be shot or to be killed by public execution. And while the man was in the prison waiting his time of execution, someone interceded to the governor until the governor found reasons to pardon the man. The governor wrote just a little line on a piece of paper and signed his name. This man is pardoned, Governor so-and-so. And when it was brought to the man and showed him by his attorney, he said, I will not receive it. A pardon's got more to it than that. I believe it's bogus. Therefore, I believe someone's trying to put something over on me. How that the devil says that same thing to the church tonight. The Bible's misinterpreted. And it doesn't mean the same. It was only for another generation. But oh, my friend, let me say this tonight. It's for whosoever will, let him come. Just as forceful tonight as it was the night that it fell, or the day it fell from his lips. The man, by rejecting this pardon because it wasn't enough, wrote out. The man then, to reject it, was executed the next morning. And then here is the governor's pardon, and here is the man executed after the governor had signed the pardon. So it was tried in federal court, and the decision came to this, and I want every one of my listeners tonight to think this real seriously. And when the decision of the federal courts of our land, of the Supreme Court, rather, of our land made its decision. Here's what it said. A pardon is not a pardon if it's not received as a pardon. And God's pardoning grace, God's divine healing is the property of every believer if it's received as that. But if it's turned down, then it's of non effect. God is not guilty because He's offered it to you. Jesus our Lord, as He walked here on earth, He did not just go about from place to place with great entertainments and the applause of man applauding of the audiences and of the great flowery things that the man of this world or the teachers would praise him by. But every footstep that he made was ordered by the Lord. Oh, I just love that when he said, even at twelve years old, know ye not that I must be about my father's business. How that brings us then to shame when we're so all the time getting around 
And the Bible said that the footsteps of the righteous is ordered of the Lord. We should walk in his ordination for us. Walk like a Christian. Talk like a Christian. Live like a Christian. And we see him meeting with the counsels of man. Oh, he meets sometime with great counsels of man. One time we see him meet with 500, again with 70, one time with 12, once with three, and he even promised that wherever two or three were gathered, I'll be in their midst. It's God's ordination for him to meet in the council no matter how small, it's his duty and his privilege and his love to keep the commandments of God to meet with you wherever two or more are gathered in my name. He'll meet with one in a secret closet. And there where their hearts are poured out, God promised to meet. So you see that it doesn't take great big things to bring Christ. It doesn't take great organizations. Neither does it take great churches, great gatherings, but it takes the sincerity of one heart to bring Him. I think in the Bible, when Philip was having a great healing campaign and the Holy Spirit called him from his campaign and went into the desert to meet one Ethiopian to lead him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. How did Jesus cross the stormy sea one time to the land of Gadaria to come to the aid of one maniac and left the land of Gadaria and crossed for that. Not only that, but he'll come from the portals of glory to the Cato Tabernacle tonight for any person that will believe him and accept him. In this text that we're speaking of tonight, Jesus was taking three of his disciples for it is written in the word that in the mouth of two or three, let every word be established. God was just about ready to do something. And God never does do anything without first he makes things ready. He sets a scene for his great drama. Let me say this tonight if I never utter another word. I believe that God is setting the scene of the greatest drama that ever struck the earth. The reign of the church and the coming of his blessed son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's pulling his little flock together and showing the gospel in every sign and wondering form to the world that those who are partakers of the world will perish with the world. Yeah. 
And it is a choosing time now. And as he goes up to the mount called Mount Transfiguration, it must have been a wonderful place. Peter later regarded it as a holy mount. He said he was in. Now that doesn't mean the mountain was holy. It meant the holy God was on the mountain. Oh, I wish I could get that to you. It's not the Holy Church. It's the Holy Spirit in the church what makes it what it is. It isn't the Holy Man. It's the Holy Ghost in the man that makes him what he is. And on the road up, as God was fixing to set a drama, he'd taken three witnesses. Peter, James, John. Now, I just love to look at this in this respect. As Peter representing faith, James representing hope, and John, love, charity, hope, faith, and charity. Those three great witnesses and in the earth, that is the three witnesses. Faith, hope, charity. The Bible teaches that. And he brought forth faith, hope, and charity to give a witness of what he was just fixing to do. Now, I know that many... Bible teachers tonight are saying, what's he going at? I know the correct picture of this, brethren, is foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. But tonight I wish to take it in a little different sphere, a little different way. That don't every subject in the Bible and everything in the Bible ties together in every word in the Bible. The in Tied Bible, every word ties into Jesus Christ. Everything, every type, every shadow, everything ties in. So that's the reason tonight I believe solemnly in the Word of the Living God, this blessed old Bible. I believe on any foundation outside of that, it will crumble as sure as the world. And we find them going up into the mount. And there were three witnesses, hope, faith, and charity. And then God's going to do something. He brought three witnesses from heaven. Peter, James, and John of the earth, and he had Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on the mount. Three heavenly beings, three earthly beings. Oh, I just love him when he does that. Yeah. I'll imagine the leaves even stop blowing when this taking place. You know, in the Bible, it is written, Be stand still and know that I am God. 
That's where the trouble is today among the churches. God can't get them to stand still long enough. They're running here and running here and chasing here and chasing there and mission trotting and church joining. Why don't you stop that and stand still a minute? When God was going to take his children to the Red Sea, he made the Red Sea stand still while he showed his power. One day when the sun was setting in the west and God showed his power, he made the sun stand still when he showed the sons of man what he was going to do. One day he was going to give sight to a blind man. And the Bible said, Jesus stood still while God worked with him or worked through him. And I'm sure this night, my Pentecostal friends, Methodist, Baptist, whatever you may be, if you'd stand still long enough, don't get all flusterated. Stand still. God will reveal His divine purpose to you. Get quiet. Get still before Him. There's nothing like those beautiful hours. How I love to go out of the morning after the night has passed and the earth has become still. Go out in the flower garden. All the fragrance of the flowers is hanging low in the perfume of the... Here in Indiana, we have the honeysuckle. How I love to take a ride just at the break of day. But when the bluster, bluster of the day comes, the fragrance seems to be brushed away. That's the way the church is today. It doesn't know what it believes. It just jumps from pillar to post. And every little thing comes along, it jumps after it. And therefore, all the beauty and the perfume of the church has been sprayed away. That's right. Be still. Someday, everything's going to stand still. Time's going to stand still. And it'll blend into eternity. The moon will stand still. The sun will stand still. Man will stand still. I'm saying this tonight, brother, that'll be a great time. The sinner will be there. Oh, you that's running from nightclub and everywhere trying to find peace, you'll stand still one day. Brother Elvis Presley will be there and he'll really be all shook up to at that time if you don't repent. Arthur Godfrey will be there with all his little Godfrey's bonds, brunettes, and so forth. It'll be a shaking time for him. All the Hail Marys in the world will ever clean his guilty soul. It'll take the blood of Christ. Such nonsense as that with four or five psychiatrists trying to keep him going. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to clean a man's soul. And the pollution and the souls. I might hurt your little pet idea now. You're idle. This is the pulpit. 
them kind of things is what's damning our nation. All the rock and rolls and boogly woogly and all the other kind of stuff and nonsense the devil has placed into their heart through such Tommy Ron as that. God be merciful. Let's get still once and get before God. They stood still. God was showing a picture of what he was going to do. God never asked the man to do anything that he wouldn't do. God made a way for man. Now the picture that I wish to place before you tonight is this. In the Old Testament, there was a, a law called the placing of sons. Or it is said in Ephesians 1, 5, I believe, that Christ, God has predestinated us to the adoptions of sons by Jesus Christ. If you run your reference on that, you'll find out it comes back in the Old Testament as placing of a son. The son being placed. Now in the Bible, we find like John 14. It seems to be meant very strange to some of us. In my father's house is many mansions. That doesn't sound right to us, does it? In my father's house is many mansions. If something seems to be wrong. I believe it was Moffat, one of the translators, made it more ridiculous than ever. Said, in my father's apartment house is many apartments. <laughs> like you're going up there to rent an apartment. That's ridiculous. But the original translation is this. In my father's kingdom is many palaces. Now the reason the translators translated for King James like that, up to the day of the king of England, a great kingdom was called a house. And the king was the father over this house. That's the reason they put it in my father's house. It was his kingdom. It come from the Old Testament teachings. Back in the Old Testament, a father owned a great portion of ground. On this he had little buildings. And in there he had servants. And when a son was born into his family, this son, as soon as he was born, was a son. Because he was born the son. Now, this may be a little strange, but I trust that you'll take it and look at it first. When the Pentecostal church and the full gospel people received the Holy Spirit, they said, this is it. We're born into the kingdom. It's all settled. That was an error. When the son was born into the family, that's true, he was a son at his birth. But this father, he was a busy man. He had much to do. So he looked out through all the country, and he got the best tutor he could find, a man to educate his son and to raise up his son and to make him the right kind of a boy. And how typical that is of our Heavenly Father. 
when his children is born into the kingdom, they are not given a bishop, neither are they given any earthly person, but God the Father has given the best tutor the church could have, the Holy Spirit, as a raiser of the church. When he comes, he will teach you and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit. And now when this duty of this teacher of raising the son was to bring word to the father how he progressed. And his conduct determined his inheritance. If he was a good son, he would inherit all the father had. If he wasn't a good son, then he got nothing. He wasn't worthy. Yet he was a son. And just because you have received the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that everything's just going to be poured into your hands. That's the reason the church would get quiet just a little bit and quit trying to say, I'm a simile, I'm a oneness, I'm a trinitarian, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, and the other. You are Christ. Amen. And the purchase of his blood. Amen. Got no right to break fellowships with people like that unless they're living the wrong life. Draw any fences or barriers. We're all one in Christ Jesus. For by one Spirit, we're all baptized into one body the body of the believers. Notice now. What if this tutor, this razor, Paul teaches it very plain over in the Gospels or in the books of the New Testament? I want you to notice, as this tutor, he must be an honest man. Now, he mustn't pull any strings. The son couldn't pull any strings with the tutor because the tutor or the teacher had to tell the father just exactly the conduct of the son. And how the tutor must have bowed his head in shame when he went before the father to say, Your boy is not obedient. He's so loosely. How he must have hit his face. And I wonder how the Holy Spirit is. How it must, as a prophet of old, blushed when he stood in the presence of God. When he brings the character and the conduct of the church in this day. How he must blush when he stands before the Father and says, Oh, they're all separated. They're acting like the world. They're marrying and giving in marriage. The women are dressing and acting just like almost harlots on the street. How the men are smoking cigarettes and telling dirty jokes and staying home at night and listening to Who Loves Susie and all those things on television and neglecting the church. How the pastor is leaving his post of duty for more money somewhere else. How the deacon board is running the bookies and so forth. How it must make the Holy Spirit blush in the presence of God. Let me say this. You say, Brother Brandon, every time you come here, you beat down on the people. Well, you maybe you need it. We've got to tally up with this book. 
Let me say something, sister. What's happened to the holiness church? What's happened to our people? I appreciate the decency that you do show. But did you know years ago it was wrong for you to cut your hair? The Bible says it was. Well, why do we have so many bob-haired women today? It used to be wrong for you to wear that manicure or what the hell that's the wrong name for it, but that stuff you put on your face, paint. There was only one woman in the Bible that ever painted her face, and God fed her to the dogs. That's right. So when you see a lady wearing this, you can say, how do you do this, dog meat? That's exactly what she is in the presence of God. Now, that's the truth. It's wrong. There's your example in the Bible. And the one thing I want to ask is this. We're supposed to be living in the height of civilization. Sometimes I wonder. The women of the churches today, modern and a lot of Pentecostals, who's got this liberation of women, did that hurt? It ought to. They take off just as much clothes as the law will let them take off. And then you say you're a Christian living in civilization. In the dark lands of Africa, where the Ethiopian women come to my meeting by the thousands, raw heathen, blanket natives who did not know which is right hand or left, coming with just a little clout over the front of them here on a string around their waist. Their whole body exposed. But when God came down in His power and saved them from sin, no one said a thing about clothes. But when they started to leave the audiences, I stood looking, weeping. Women folded their hands like this to cover themselves so they could get out to put some clothes on. Then we call ourselves civilized. We call ourselves Christians with the Holy Spirit. Shame on you preaching liberation of women. Brother, we ought to preach liberation from sin. God delivers from all that stuff. Notice, if a raw heathen that don't go right from left hand, the Holy Spirit itself teaches her that she's naked. Then you claim to have the Holy Ghost is stripping off everything that the law lets you do. There's something wrong somewhere. Oh my. What the Holy Spirit must think when it comes to the presence of God. How his children are acting. Say, what about the man? You, brother. It's your time. You call yourself a man. And the head of the house. And if you let your woman strip herself off and get out there at that long mole, 
with a cigarette in her hand before man, that shows how much man you are. You know that's the truth. What we need is a little fashion. Holy Ghost revival to clean up the church. That is right. I'm not saying that jokingly. This is not a joking place because we're dealing with eternal destinations of man's souls that I'll answer for at the day of judgment. But that's true. No wonder the church has to go after all kinds of little isms and fantastics, little sensations and things. Why take that substitute? Why don't you clean up and stand still? Pentecostal skies are full of the real Holy Ghost that will make you what you think. Why do you take anything like that little ism? Because you're trying to live in sin and possess the Holy Ghost at the same time she's tucked her flight and left you. That's what's the matter with the church. That's exactly right. So much. We'll get on that a little later on. But, then if that child is obedient, a very good child, how the teacher would like to step to the father and say, Oh, sir, your little boy is a perfect gentleman. Oh, he's so up and at it. Not home with the television, but at prayer meeting every night, at his post of duty, on the street testifying, he lives a life above reproach. He's just about the father's business. When they're eating lunch at the mill or wherever it is, he has your book under his arm. He reads it. He testifies to the other man. After the evenings, when he goes home and washes up, it is not in the backyard with some beer, but he's out somewhere giving testimony to the love of God that's in his heart. Say, you know, sir, oh, you've got such a fine child. I can see the father push his chest out. Say, oh, yeah, I see the chip off the block. Yes. Sometimes in the evening, when the children are asleep, Mrs. Brown and I slip into the room and look at little Joseph. I look at him as he's laying there sleeping, and I say, Mama, you know he's got big eyes just like yours. She say, Yes, he's got lips like yours. It's the features of both of us. That's represented in that child. Oh, how that God wants to see the reflection of Himself in His church, reflecting the power and the glory in the world. In the Old Testament, when the beaters was beaten gold, when you get gold, it's full of pyrite. That's fool's gold. It really shines better than the real gold. It's got slugs and everything in it. But the beater used to beat the gold. And the way he knew he had all the dirt out of it, 
He seen the reflection of himself in it, like a polished mirror. He beat it, and he beat it, and he beat it until he seen his own reflection. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do to the church, is to beat it and turn it over and beat it until Christ reflects in the church to the people through his resurrection. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Trying to get the people to beat the world out of them. The devil's pouring it in. And the Holy Spirit, if you just stand still and let him, he'll beat your life until the loving peace of Christ reflects in your life. Now, this child is obedient. Then there come a certain day when this child become matured. That's the day the Pentecostal church ought to be now. You Presbyterians ought to be that way a long time ago. Baptists and Methodists. But what's the matter? Then there's a certain day come that when that father draw all the people around the regions and he come into the city or some great place and he took and set this son on a high place and he put him on a beautiful robe and they had a ceremony and that father adopted that same son that had been born, he adopted it into his family. Or in other words, he placed him positionally what he was in the family, and then he become an heir of everything the father had. In other words, his name on a checkbook was just as good as his daddy's. And that's where the church should be today. It should be to a place. And I say this to myself and to you. Oh, what a pity it is when I walk around and see the sin and the afflictions and the sickness of the people and so forth. We ought to be to a place and faith in God so separated that what we ask the Father in the name of His Son, He had granted to us. So right. He took Him into a place and there He adopted Him into His family. Or a special time when He set Him apart. The church ought to be that way tonight. An angel come to you, set you apart and tell you your position and where you're at. Not a bunch of men to lay hands on you. That's earthly. I mean God. God sets you apart in a place where you belong. God does it. Your tutor does it. He's present when it takes place. Now notice, God was doing here just exactly like he asked man to do. His son had been obedient. He had minded the Father. He hadn't been getting about in places and saying, You see who I am? My campaign's in the biggest room in the country. Yes, sir. He had been obedient. He had been obedient to the Father. He hadn't been getting around with things of the world associating with them. He had been obedient. And God took witnesses of the earth, Peter, James, and John, brought down Elijah and Moses from heaven, and stood them there and adopted his own son. He was glorified in the presence of these witnesses. And the God came down and overshadowed him. And the Bible said his garments glistened like the sun. 
You see the robe, the glorification of him? He put him on a robe before the witness of heaven, before the witness of earth. You know, Peter got all excited. Of course, it is enough to make a man excited. He got kind of excited when the supernatural came. Listen close. That's what makes men get excited. But you shouldn't be excited. You see, that's what made a mixed multitude go out of Egypt and perish in the gainsaying of Korah. That's what's made the Pentecostal church in the confusion is tonight. The supernatural's been done and a mixed multitude went out. Peter got excited. He said, Lord, this is so great. We better start some denominations here. That's right. Let's build a cathedral here or a school, and we'll call this a school for the law, for Moses and all his. Yes, we'll have that. Now, who could be saved by the law? No one could be saved by the law. The law didn't come to save us. The law was to magnify our sins, to point them out to us. And listen to you legalist believers. I want to ask you something. There's not one thing you can do to be saved in yourself. No, sir. You are saved by grace. And that alone. And you have nothing to do with it. God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Right. There's not one thing you can do to merit. So you keep all the commandments you want to, join all the churches you want to, you're still lost. You might know your catechism, say, Hail Mary. You might know the Apostles' Creed, the doxology. You might know all the doctrine of the Bible. But to know the Bible is not life. To know the church creed is not life. But to know Him is life. Alone to know Him. You might be baptized this way, that way, this way, that way, or sprinkled, poured. Whatever it may be, you're still lost until you know Him. Know Him is life. The church in its condition. Notice, there they were. And Peter said, we'll just build a tabernacle here for Moses. Now, the law only puts you in jail. The law only puts you under condemnation. The law only magnified. It was the policeman that come and caught you by the arm and said, you're guilty. And you're under the penalty of death. The law has no redeeming grace. Grace comes to Jesus Christ. Not for the law. I don't plead for the law. I don't want nothing to do with the law. Well, then Peter said, I tell you, then we'll build us another tabernacle. We'll make it for Elijah. What did Elijah represent? The justice of God. Who wants justice? Brother, I don't. I want mercy. Not justice. We're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, come to the world speaking lies. We are guilty from the beginning to the end. There's not one of us could redeem one another if we're archbishops, popes, whatever we might be. We're prophets or whatever. Even if we were angels, we would still be under. 
intent to redeem one another. Certainly, I don't want justice. Never do I call for justice. I want mercy. God, give me your mercy. Look at Elijah. The sternness of God's justice set upon the mountain. Under the, the will of God. God told him to. And the king sent a bunch of men and said, Go up there and get him. When they got close to him, he raised up the line of God's justice. Said, If I be a man of God, let fire come from the heavens and burn you up. Fire fell and burned up the fifty. Well, the captain said, You know, that must have been it's a lightning. A storm went over. We'll try it again. You know, it's just one of the acts of nature. So he sent another fifty. And the justice of God raised up in his prophet. He said, If I be a man of God, let fire come from heaven and it consume you. And fire came and consumed him. The justice of God. Mercy, brethren. We don't want justice. But Peter had no more than got it out of his mouth when he wanted to denominate the church. When he wanted to have denominational bearers, one for this and one for that, a voice spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. And when they looked back, they saw Jesus only. The law had passed away. All the judgments had passed away. And God said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. What did he represent? God's love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but would have everlasting life. God, His nature, is so loving that when divine love, that's what the church needs. That's where we're standing. Not in the need of Bible doctrine. Not in the need of denominations. We're standing in the need of the love of God. That's been my theme and will be till I die. The love of God is what the church needs. If we had the love of God in the assembly, in the united, in the church of God, in the Methodist, in the Baptist, then the nominational bearers would be broke down. This cattle tabernacle tonight would be through the street chair and the power and glory of God and an old-fashioned revival sweetness sit in one If the people in this city that's called on the name of the Lord Jesus as believers would come together in that condition tomorrow night, a week from now, a bootlegger and a whiskey joint wouldn't be found in the city. What's the matter? Lacking of love. What did Jesus represent? Moses, the law. Elijah, and his sternness, his justice. What did Jesus represent? His love. And when God being love, and he was so loved the world, and when divine love is projected, it produces its subject. God could do nothing else but send something to take the place of his love. So the law couldn't do it, his justice couldn't do it, so love took its place. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ever since by faith I saw that stream, thy coin wound supplied, redeeming love has been my 
seen and shall be till I die. Love! God's love. It'll take the place of speaking in tongues, so that's all right. It'll take the place of gifts and wonders and signs and everything else. If you haven't got love to accomplish that, what good does the signs do you? God's tried to do it across the nation, but it wouldn't work. The greatest of all the gifts is wisdom. The second is knowledge. If you haven't got knowledge, you haven't got wisdom, how can to control your knowledge? What good your knowledge going to do? See what I mean? Seek the first things first. We've gone after gifts. We've gone after this. We've gone after that because the supernatural was done. But brother, don't seek gifts. Don't seek favor with denomination. Seek the love of God. Do it, brother. Love constrained him. That's what he was, love, in his great bosom. Went out to Adam's fallen race and redeemed him through his son, Christ Jesus. Laws, prophets, denominations is all faded away. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Love takes its place. You can't impersonate love. You've got to have it. It's got to be a product that God has given you. It's not what you imagine. It's something God has done. Like I was talking today to someone. When I get ready to leave and go overseas, I don't get my wife and say, Here, Miss Brim, tell you something. Thou shalt not have no other husbands. I'm your husband. Let me hear you being out with somebody else. You know what you're going to get when I get home? Thou shalt not flirt with anyone else. Now, wouldn't that be a home? That's about like the church is. If you go to that revival, I'll give you your papers to your church. <laughs> oh, we're the Christian church of God. There you are. Oh, we need love. Sure we do. Now, she don't catch me with a collar and pull me around and say, Wait a minute, my young man. Let me hear you being out with one woman while you're gone. You're going to get it when you come home. That isn't it. It isn't law. It's love. I love her. She loves me. When we get ready to go, we're both crying a little. We kneel down the floor and pray. God to take care of me and help me. And I pray God to help me win souls for him. And I pray that God helps her and takes care of the children. We raise up. I kiss her goodbye. She said, Billy, I'll be praying for you while you're gone, honey. All right, dear. That's settled. No more thought of it. Why? I love her. If I was overseas and away from home for a year, I don't care who the woman was, if she walked up some young girl or some woman and said, Billy, would you take me out to supper? I think Meaty wouldn't want me to do that. But if I know that I could get by with it, if I know I could come back and tell her, Meaty, I took some girls or women, went out to supper. I did this, that, and the other. I, I, I tell you, I held her hand for that. You forgive me, won't you, Meaty? I believe she'd do it. Brother, I wouldn't do it for nothing. I wouldn't hurt her for nothing. I love her. As long as I love her, she don't have a weary. And as long as she loves me, I don't have a weary. And as long as you love Christ, you don't have a weary. And Christ loves you, you know. It's love that does it. Not something that I do to merit it. It's God's divine love. In closing, my statement is, some time ago, as you know, I like to hunt. I just love to hunt. 
not so much to kill the animal, but to be in the wilderness. Now, I used to hunt up in the north woods, way up in northern New Hampshire, and up in Maine. And I used to hunt with a fellow up there, a little old Yankee. He was a nice boy. I liked him real well. His name was Dirk Paul. I thought a whole lot of him. He was a dandy hunter. I loved to walk 25, 35 miles a day through the wilderness. He was a good walker, come right along. And he's a good tracker. He was a good boy, a good hunter. But he was the most cruel-hearted person I ever seen. He would just love to shoot little fawns just to make me feel bad. Now, if the law says he can have a fawn, all right. But not eight or ten of them a year. So he liked to do that just to be mean. And he used to shoot those little fawns and like, I'd say, Bert, how can you do that? Always oh, say, you chicken-hearted preacher. Thought you was a hunter. I said, I'm a hunter, but I'm not a killer. And he said, oh, ain't that all right? And I say, Abraham, sure, kill a calf for God to eat. That's right. But Bert, not to be brutal just like you are. I said, oh, you're chicken-hearted. One year I went up there. He said, come here, Billy. I want to show you something. And he'd made himself a little whistle. And he could go just like a little baby deer with fawn crying. I said, Bert, you're not going to use that. I'll get next to yourself, preacher. We went hunting that day, and we were out in the wilderness, walking around. We'd been maybe a half a day. It was getting near dinner time. We hadn't even seen a track. There's a great opening like that. The snow had been melted off pretty well there where the sun had hit. And he kind of stooped down, and I thought, what's he going to do? I seen him reach in his pocket. He comes out with this little whistle. I thought, oh, my. And he took that little whistle, and he went just like a little baby deer crying. And no more than he did that to just across the way, a big, beautiful mother deer called the doe raised up. She looked around. I can just see her now. Those big brown eyes, those big ears, the veins in her face. How pretty she stood. She looked around. I seen Bert look up at me and grin. I thought, oh, Bert, you're not going to do that. Smile, he ducked his head down. I couldn't watch it. I turned my head. I heard the chamber come back as the, the lever come to pull the cartridge up into the barrel. Oh, he was a dead shot. And I know that deer wasn't standing over 30 yards. And I looked around again. I seen him level that study nerve. Putting that crosshair right across the heart of that mother. She looked around. She heard that baby's cry. She come walking right out into the middle of that little place. Right out in the open. Why? She couldn't help it. She was a mother. She by nature was a mother. She wasn't putting that on. But she was a mother to begin with. And there was a baby in trouble, and she must get to it. It was in trouble. It was something in her. Any other time she'd been scared to death. That's what she's hiding back in the bushes for, to keep away from that light place till it got night, and then she'd go out and feed. But the baby was in trouble. The mother instinct called her. It was duty. She walked out listening again with those big ears up. I seen his nerve as he quietened out. I turned my head. I thought, oh, God, 
don't let him do that. I know in a few moments' time, just a second or two, and that bullet of that .30-06 rifle would blow that mother's heart plumb through the other side of her. I thought that gallant display of real love, that mother loving that little baby so much that she was walking out there, and I looked, and she had seen the hunter. She stopped. Those big ears come to a point. She caught the scent of him, and she stood there. But the mother's love, she couldn't help it. She went walking home hunting that baby. It wasn't a puddle, it was a real thing. She was walking right in the face of death because she was a mother. I turned my head, I said, God, how can that cruel-hearted man do that? And while I was praying, I noticed the silence. I heard nothing. I thought, why don't the gunfire? And when I turned to look, I see the rifle barrel going like this. He dropped the rifle on the ground and turned around and grabbed me for the pants leg. He said, Billy, I've had enough of it. I can't stand it no more. Tell me about that Jesus that put that kind of love into a man's heart. There on that snowy ground, that cruel hearted man for the display of a real genuine love led that man to Christ. When the church of the living God gets to a place to get out of its little isms and sensations until it can display the real genuine love of God, then you'll be the salt of the earth that'll create a thirst in the heart of the sinner that'll make him want to be like you. God grant it to every disbeliever tonight as we bow our heads. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him, the heart of God. Dear Jesus, as my mind slips back to that little opening up on the top of the or the side of the mountain that day, some 12, 14 years ago, near that place called Pond of Safety, to see that old mother dear that she could not help it. She was a mother by nature. God, she had to display her love, her gallant love, because it was her nature. Oh, Jesus, there's people in this building tonight that's joined church years ago. Maybe some of them has not. But they're human beings that you projected your son to them and the love of God to them. And they've just cold formally joined the church or maybe neglected it altogether. But they've always wanted the time that when they could have the real thing. They've had their ups and downs and ins and outs. God grant to every person tonight, while your great presence is here, that they will accept Jesus, the Savior, and let him place into their nature, into their character, the characteristics of Jesus Christ, that they might love one another and love you so much that they'll go home and act like Christians and live like Christians 
have fellowship with all Christians and be your children and be such in the neighborhood until as that mother dear displayed the love of a mother and one uh, unbeliever to Christ, may they display the salt of the kingdom of God in Christian love until they'll win their neighbors and all around them to the Christ of God. Grant it, Father, thou knowest the heart of man. Please, Holy Spirit, move into this audience and touch every heart just now. While we have our heads bowed, our eyes closed, this may be the last time that God will ever touch at your heart. Oh, you say, I've belonged to church for years, Brother Brennan. That's not what I mean. Oh, I have danced in the Spirit, Brother Branham. That isn't still what I mean. Brother Branham, I've spoke with tongues. I've had the interpretation. I've even prayed to the sick and to God. Well, that still isn't what I mean, friend. I'm meaning the love of God. Something in your heart that just makes you, just puts Christ first in everything. If you haven't got it, Will you do something tonight? Would you raise up your hand, not to me, but to God, and say, God, give me the Christian love for the brethren, for the church that that mother dear had in mother love for the baby. Would you raise your hand to him? God bless you, lady. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless That's right. Too innumerable to count at the time hundred or more hands up in here of people. That's right. God bless you. God bless you there, sure. Is there another? God bless you, you, lady, you. Yeah. If, lady, if there was one thing that I could do, if you're in need of finances, of healing or whatever it is, if I, there was one thing that I could do to help you and wouldn't do it, I, wouldn't, I would be a hypocrite or I'd be an unworthy person. But I have nothing. I have a little bit of money. I think about $40. I'd be glad to share it with you. As far as your healing, if you need healing, Christ has already died for that. If, if you need salvation, if you need a spiritual lift, Whatever it is, Christ died for that. Anything within the atonement belongs to the believer. But I say now that you're a believer because your spirit seems to be welcoming. See, I, I know you're a Christian. I don't mean a hitchhiker. You're a born-again Christian. That's right. You are a Christian. And if God will reveal to me what you're here for, lady, will you accept it as Christ? You know it will have to come through supernatural. The lady, it's been a standing something. I said, start back long ago. It's something about the throat. And it's developing into something severe. You're scared of cancer. That's right. Now, if that's right, raise up your hand. Now, there's nothing showing to her, but if I'd say, um, well, I don't see a crippled person, but if I'd say a certain man, here, I see a little boy down here, 
If I said that boy's crippled, he'd say, sure. But this is a healthy-looking woman. What about her? There's the mystery. There's the miracle. There's the miracle. Now look. The more I talk to the lady, it's a gift that God promised. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. Is that right? Right. A spirit. A spirit. Now if I talk to the lady, how many would just like to pour for a little time and talk to the lady? Let's see your hand. All right. All right, sister. I've, what did he tell you? Just your trouble? I see the only way I know what was said, it'll have to, I have to pick it up on the recorder. Now, if you'll just be reverent and believe with all your heart, maybe he would do something else. We'd find something. Maybe a, a cause or what, something about it. I do not know. Now, there's something strange. The lady is some sort of a worker, or, or something in a choir. No, she's got some kind of a robe, women, and it's a, or it's the four square church that you're associated with. You are a teacher in the four square church. That's exactly right. And you're losing your voice. And therefore, you cannot teach anymore. And you come from Chicago. And you, I see someone you're shaking hands with, an elderly man that's a little bald. It's Brother Bosworth. You know Brother Bosworth. They're associated with him. Now, I see a lady that I know. It's a lady, uh, I, well, I see if I get, it's a Mrs. Um, Domico. You're some way associated with Miss Domico. That is the truth. That's thus saith the Lord. That's right. You believe now? Go and receive your healing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith. If thou canst, how many believes? Just believe. If that isn't Christ, the resurrection, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, for you, how about some of you out there? Do you believe? You just received Christ a few minutes ago, lady, sitting on the end of the seat. I see you raise up your hand to accept Christ. You got your hand up now. Do you believe anything God served? You got a prayer card? You know, all right, you don't need one. Do you believe that God can reveal to me here what your trouble is? You believe that God can reveal? Then the cancer won't kill you. It will be healed if you believe. Amen. Right. God bless you now. Just go on your road rejoicing. How do you do, sir? We are strangers to each other. Now be just, if you can be seated just a moment, see, when you move, each one's a spirit. And you moving, it interrupts the contact that I have with the spirit world, which is the angels of God and the Holy Spirit in the audience. Remember Jesus taking the people and put them all out of the room when he rose dry as his daughter? How many of you remember that? Taking them out of the city. See, be real reverent. See, how many of you ever read my book? He said, if you'll be sincere and get the people to believe you, and when I say anything, believe it. That's the thing. Believe it. And if God doesn't vindicate it's the truth, then I'm alive. And if he does vindicate it's the truth, it wasn't me, it was him. 
I don't know you, sir, but God does know you. He knows all about you. But if here's the other one was a woman, this is a man. Now, if God will reveal to me what your trouble is, will you believe me? You're very seriously sick and a shadow of a cancer. It's in the rectum. That's right. You're not from this city. You come from away from here, didn't you? You're in a city what sits on kind of a side of a hill. There's got a big fountain in the street. I see you've had it's hot springs, Arkansas. That's where you're from. Right. That's right. Call you Mac, don't you? That's right. Let me tell you something. You got a good spirit. I'll tell you something else. Your wife's here with you. She wants to be prayed for too, doesn't she? If I tell you what's wrong with your wife and you believe me to be his prophet, she's got colon trouble. Colon and bowels. That's right, isn't it? Or right, y'all return back to hot springs and rejoice. What the hot springs waters wouldn't do, salvation of Christ does in the name of Only have faith. Just believe. Sir, you there praying with your head down. You believe he heard you? You do? Leroy, I'm talking to you. Leroy Carl. You're from Midland, Pennsylvania, aren't you? I've never seen you in my life, never know that yet. But you're suffering with a rupture and you're just praying for Christ to heal you. That's right, raise up your hand. Or right, go home and receive what you asked for. You touched him. Amen. Don't get scared of him knowing me. He knows who you are. Certainly he does. That man can stand, if you will. I've never seen you in my life, as you know of. Is that right? But you were sitting there praying for God to do that. Now he's answered your prayer. Now you just be, believe with all your heart. You can have what you have. God bless you. Do you believe, lady, with all your heart? If I could heal you, I'd do it. I can. Christ can. But Daniel told in the Old Testament to the monarch that God knows the secrets of the hearts of the people. When God was manifested in the flesh in Christ Jesus, he knows the secrets of the hearts and perceived their thoughts. Is that true? If he's the same yesterday in Daniel's time as he was in the days of Jesus, he's the same today in his church, or his Bible's wrong. So his Bible's not wrong, so he's declaring himself to be the same. May I just have this lady, then you all draw your conception, whatever you think. By the way, you're not here for yourself, because I see a man, and that man's in a terrible shape. And it's not, it's, it's a, your pastor. 
And you're not, you're, he's from Columbus, Ohio. He's originally from Illinois. And he's had a heart attack. He's paralyzed. And his name is Ginther, Ginther, it's right. You believe me to be God's prophet? Then that handkerchief you got in your hand, send it to me. In the name of the Lord Jesus. God bless you. You believe with all your heart? What about you out here? A line of you. Somebody believe. Just start having faith. This could just go on, on, on. Well, what does it do? It only vindicates his treasure. I challenge your faith to him. What a thing. The Bible said he's a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Is that right? He is now a high priest. He always has been a high priest. And he's now a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Well, the woman touched his garment. And he turned and recognized who she was and told her her condition, and her faith healed her. And if he's still the high priest that can be touched by infirmities, he is the vine. We are the branches. The branches bears the fruit. You touch him and the branch answers back. Yeah. Is that right? Hey. Do you believe it? Hey. What do you think, sitting there, lady? Do you believe it all your heart? You do? If you do, you'll stop that coughing then. <laughs> Amen. What do you mean to raise your hand next to her? Do you believe? With all your heart? Your throat trouble will be done with things. Amen. What about you, lady, sitting next to her? Do you believe with all your heart? You do? you got trouble with your legs, with your back, and trouble in your stomach. Is that right? Then you can have it. What about you, sitting next to her? Do you believe? you got arthritis. Or you did have it. All four years from Chicago. That's right. You believe? Why can't you believe? Wait, we got another patient here before the lady's been brought here. I know you're not, lady. God does know you. You was very happy when you was called to this platform because this is your last night here. You have to go home right now. It's true. That means you're not from here. You're from a place called Canton, Ohio. Right? You want me to pray for you being nervous? The reason you're going home, you've got two children. You've got to have an operation pretty soon. That's right, isn't it? Go home and find it so, as you have believed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I Don't move around. I challenge your faith to me. Don't you believe it? Do you believe it? What about down the prayer line? Do you believe it with all your heart? If thou canst believe, you can be healed every one of you. What is this the sign of? This is the sign that you are healed. That this is not a fiction story. It's the truth of a resurrected Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the idea. Sure, hallelujah means praise our God. He's in our midst. He's worthy of all praises. You could not overpraise him. You believe he heals you stand there, lady? Then go on your own rejoicing, say praise the Lord. Amen. What about the rest of you? Do you believe with all your heart? 
This is the hour of your healing. I challenge you to believe it. Every one of you. The Bible says so first. The Spirit witnesses it. Christ vindicates it. I'm telling the truth. You are already healed. And have been since Jesus died for you. You've got to have faith enough to reach up and get it. Do you do it? If you do, rise to your feet and claim it in the name of 